And you found us where we were in sin. And you poured your grace on us. You brought us from darkness to light. If we are believers here today, Lord, that is our story. Salvation story in our lives. And that is why we can sing about it today and proclaim your glory. And Lord, right at the outset here this morning, we want to pray too for those who do not know you. The gospel message has already gone out in the words that we were singing. Those that do not know you today can come to know you. And Lord, I pray that you will do your work of saving grace in their lives too. And that they would not leave this place without having met with the living God today. Lord, do your work, we pray, through your Spirit. Lord, we want to give you praise and we want to give you honour and thanksgiving too for the great work you've been doing among us as a congregation. We thank you for the work of healing that you've brought about. We thank you for Ken, Lord, and those positive results to that medication and treatment he's been receiving. Lord, we give you praise and glory. You are indeed the great creator God who is a healing God. You've made us. You can heal us, Lord. We thank you for the work you've done in Claire's life and the great healing that's come about so soon after that operation. And Lord, we think of others that are in need of healing in this congregation. And Lord, we pray that you would meet them there too and that they too can experience your work in their lives. At the very least, Lord, your work of grace in their lives, working in their souls to bring them closer to you even through hard times. And Lord, we think of all those going through hard times, whether it be financially, whether it be in our families, whether it be at work. Lord, thank you too that we sang this morning, that we are reminded that it's not about what happens now, but Lord, we are looking forward to that time and we can stand together as thousands upon thousands upon millions giving you glory and honour. And Lord, when we go through hard times on this earth, help us to look up and to look to you through these hard times and to know that we are not on our own. You are there through those times with us and you will help us to come through them. May we not give up and see the big waves around us, but may we see the everlasting and the all-great God who is with us and in us if we are your believers. And so, Lord, be merciful to us, we pray. We want to bring the light party before you tonight, Lord. And Lord, it's such an important time where we can reach out into this community. And Lord, we pray that there will be those who come tonight, even though they come for fun, but that this will be a divine appointment for them tonight, where they will hear the saving gospel, and the gospel will cut through the darkness in their souls, and Lord, you will save them. And even, Lord... We pray that the seed will go out tonight and that parents and children will hear the challenging message of the gospel. We want to do this to your glory, Lord, not because we want to be busy as a church in this community, but to your glory alone. And Lord, we pray to now as we open your word and as we see what you have to say to us in your time and your agenda for us, Lord, give us open hearts. Lord, give me the words that I need to speak but Lord, may it be your Spirit speaking through me, I pray. To you be the glory. Amen. Let's turn again to this letter that we're going through from God's Word. Letter written to people under persecution. 
people who must have been asking a lot of questions, the letter of First Peter. And at this stage, we're still looking at chapter 2 and going through verses 13 to 17. Verses 13 to 17 of First Peter chapter 2. As I pray today, it's God's agenda. We need to see what He's saying to us. This is not something I've wanted to bring to you. This is God bringing this to us. So let's see what He has to say to us. And I'm glad there's a lot of young people here too and a lot of children. I shouldn't call you children. I'll be in trouble afterwards. Young people, okay? God's Word comes to all of us. doesn't matter what your age is. So hear what God might have to say to you as well today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now if you would, just glance up to verses 11 and 12. That's what we looked at last time. And there the Apostle Peter was telling us and reminding us that we are living here as aliens and strangers in this world and that our lives are lives which are to glorify God in everything that we do. So it's in that light that we are now looking at the next verses, which is refining it even more and is saying, okay, as you live in front of the world, what is your obedience to the authorities, any authorities that there are? What is that like? Because the world is watching you as well. So do you see what he's doing here? He's given us the parameters and now he's refining it even more. Next time we meet, we're going to look at slaves and those who keep slaves. And dare I say it, employers and employees in our modern time, okay? We'll explain all that later. And then the following week, we're going to look at our marriages. What does this same principle look like in marriage? Do you see what Peter's doing? He's refining it and he's giving us specifics and application of this principle of submission. You know, we live in an anti-authority age, don't we? You just look at the ads on TV, and um, I'll notice a specific beer ad, all right? And it's all about, you guys stood up to the Americans, you didn't even allow them to bring their nuclear ships. Yes, good on you, New Zealand. You stood up to these things. You are a law unto yourselves. Isn't that what he's kind of saying? But you know, it's fairly indicative of us as Kiwis, and I say us because I've been here for 12, 13 years now, so I know what the psyche of this country is. It is a good thing to be independent and to want to do our own thing, but there is a flip side to that, and that is that it can also be an Achilles heel to us. And we need to watch out for that. Independence is a good thing, but it can also be very bad for us. It's an anti-authority age that we see around us. And it's not just in New Zealand, we see it all over the world today. See, everyone wants to be in charge of their own lives. Don't tell me what to do, I'm my own boss. Why should I listen to you, is what is around. Where do we see that? Well, you see it in the attitude towards the police, don't you? 
You just look on TV news and see where there's been uprisings again. And it's not uprisings in other countries. We're talking about here in New Zealand. Just look what happens down at the universities when the drink flows a bit freely and see what happens there. Students are so quick to come up against the police who are supposed to be the authorities who have to look after us as a community. We see it in the way the criminals snub their noses at the justice system today. Just look at some of the charges that are being laid, not just charges, but sentences being passed against criminals. And then it's little wonder that criminals snub their noses and they're not worried about committing crime because the nanny state will look after me. I'll just go to prison and they look after me there. I'll get TV, I'll get three meals, and so they carry on. We see it in the way society is increasingly showing disregard for the law. Where do we see that? In the way that the police now have to have handguns on them. Do you see the slow increase that's happening? We even see it in our schools, and I speak from experience. Students not having a regard for teachers. And I'm not speaking about all of you. I know there's some really good students here, okay? I'm speaking about a lot of students today in our schools showing a complete disregard towards their teachers. And this is a, a big problem in our communities now. We're starting to see it even at junior levels, very small little kids that are now starting to show teachers, I don't have to listen to you. Why should I? And so it's starting to show in even our small children. And then think of your own homes, right? A disregard for authority, this spirit of rebellion that's coming up in us. Don't we sometimes find it in relationships between husband and wife? Don't we even find it from coming from our children towards us? And teenagers, don't you find it in you towards your parents? It comes up in us, doesn't it? It's a spirit of rebellion. I'm my own boss. Why should I listen? Where does that come from? Well, it all started with Adam and Eve, again. And they get a lot of blame for stuff, don't they? But it did. It started with them. Because Adam and Eve questioned God's authority. God said, don't eat. So they said, why? And they ate. And from then, we were all under that curse. Last week we looked at how we to live before Gentiles so that our lives glorify God. And if you've got the, I think it's the, um, not the ESV, the New King James Version, it says, Now therefore, therefore, submit yourselves. And that's very important. You see, it's linked to last week's passage, what we're going to look at today. It is saying, yes, you're living before Gentiles. Now therefore, what should your life before Gentiles be like? when it comes to looking at submitting to authorities. And by implication, we see that there must have been several questions that were coming up in the early church, and that is why the apostle addressed them. Some of those questions, by implication, were these. Well, if I'm a sojourner, if I'm just temporary here on earth, then do I need to subject myself to the authorities of this world? If I'm a citizen of another world, do I have to listen to these authorities? Or another question was, how do I live a credible and God-glorifying life in front of this society, but a society and a government which is anti-God? How do I live a God-glorifying life in front of them? What if they want to make me do things which God does not allow? What do I do then? Do I obey God or Nero? Is what they could have been asking themselves. 
And the answer lies in two key phrases we're going to look at today. And I want you to glance down at verse 13. And there are our two clues. Submit and for the Lord's sake. Those are our two phrases we're going to look at today. Submit for the Lord's sake. Now Peter knew very well that these people were asking a lot of these hard questions. And that is why he gives them a command. And that first term there, submit yourselves, is in the command form in the original. It is a command. Submit yourselves. Literally, arrange yourselves in formation under a commander. That is what the Greek term meant there. To put yourself under. Put yourself into an attitude of submission. It's not something that's naturally there. You need to put, it, put yourself into that attitude of submission. We're going to see it in verse 18. Just glance down your page. When it comes to speaking about servants and masters, we're going to see it in chapter 3 verse 1 when we speak about wives and husbands, as I've mentioned. But we had the same expression used under obedience when we looked at it in chapter 1 verse 14. What did he say there? He said, As obedient children do not be conformed, but listen to your father. And you see that same term comes up there. If you want to be obedient, you've got to submit to something. And in that case, it was a, a submitting to your father. Verse, chapter 1 verse 22 calls us to submit to and to be obedient to the truth. To put ourselves under the truth. In other words, the truth says this, I must listen to it. I must put myself in subjection to it. And so submission or being subject means voluntarily, and that's a key there. I need to voluntarily do this. Not being forced to do it. I must want to do it. I must voluntarily and deliberately put what God wants first in my life. Voluntarily and deliberately. I must go and do it. Put what God wants first in my life. Over and above what I want in life. You see, submission is not going to come easily. What is our default setting it's me, myself, and I. I've said it so many times from here, from this pulpit. And the first question when you are told to submit is what? Why? And it hasn't got a question mark behind it. It's an exclamation mark. Why do I need to submit? We're all like that. And that's why Peter gives us a command. He says, submit. It's not a question. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. So what's our motive for this Submission, And that's our second point. It's for the Lord's sake, he says a little later on in verse 13. Submit for the Lord's sake. You see, we are called to live Godward lives. John Piper said it so well. We are to live lives that point towards God. We are to live lives in which everything we do is done through and on account of what Christ has done for us. And then also as acts of worship him. You see, as we live our testimonies in front of the world, as we live our lives in front of the world, it must be an act of worship to God in everything that we do. And if we have that attitude in our lives, then the world will see God through us. God has said that in His Word. You see, we are now, if you glance back to verse 9, just look back at it. We did it a few weeks ago. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You see, we're under new ownership. If you've become a believer, you and I are under new ownership. 
we have one mission now, and that is to proclaim God's excellencies. That is why God has left us on earth. And as I said last week, that is why when you become a believer, God doesn't just take you to heaven. He leaves you here on earth because He wants you to be a living testimony to Him so that other people can see people living to God. And the question that immediately springs to my mind, and I hope to yours, is do I live all facets, and I mean all facets of my life, to God? Do I drive to God? Do I do my work to God? On a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, when I make my kids' lunches, do I do that for God and to God, to His glory, for the Lord's sake? When it comes to election times in this country, do I carefully think, not just tick, 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 that's the one I know, that's the one I know, and so I tick. Do I carefully look at who God has brought there, because their authority is put there, and do I vote to His glory as well? Do I obey our country's laws to His glory? You see, are you submitted to the Lord first? An analogy I thought of was, you know, God is... It's like the relationship between a contractor and a subcontractor working for a client. A subcontractor works for the contractor at a client's place, doesn't he? Or she. And in the same way, God has put us on this earth. He is the contractor. He is working among the people, but we are working under Him, living amongst these people. We obey God first. And then what people want. God wants us to obey the authorities. That's specifically the verse that we're looking at today. He says, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, what? To every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. That is the king, not by God, by the way, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. You see, that's the extent of our submission. God says, I want you to subject yourselves to every human institution. Now, before we go and look at what does that mean, why does God do that? Why does God want us to submit ourselves to every human institution or every human authority on earth? Well, Romans 13 verse 1 says it this way, that every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. That's the key phrase. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So all authority that exists on this earth has been instituted by God. Now I know there's questions floating. We're going to get to them. Why does God bring in authority structures? Well, it all comes back to His glory. He wants to reflect His own person in the creation order and in what happens on this earth. You see, where order is withdrawn, lawlessness prevails, doesn't it? You just have to think about the situation in Rwanda a few years back. Think of all those thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were killed needlessly because order was withdrawn from that country. There was no law and order. Think of the situation in, recently in Haiti when that earthquake struck. And as soon as there was confusion and the authorities couldn't work as they should, guess what? The looters were out there and they were out having a field day. It doesn't take us long as human beings to become lawless. And God has said, where I've created, I want to reflect my personality, my nature, and I am a God of order. 
just look, turn with me if you would to a little book and if you find it, you'll get first prize, okay? Micah. The book of Micah, chapter 7. It's not just the other side of Luke. It's a little bit further back in the Old Testament. Micah, chapter 7. This is just a little description of what happens when lawlessness prevails. And Scripture tells us what happens. Micah, chapter 7, verses 2 to 4. If you haven't found it yet, just listen. I can hear a lot of pages. That's good. I can't tell you a page number because mine might be different. This is what it says. When there is no order, law and order, this is what happens. The godly person has perished from the land and there is no upright person among men. Now listen, this is what it looks like. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. They lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. Both hands do evil well. The prince asks, also the judge, for a bribe. These are the people who are supposed to be in authority and they both want bribes. Okay? And a great man speaks the desire of his soul. People just speak what they want. They don't think about what they are saying. And so they weave it together. It's a weave of evil. So there's a bit of a description of what happens when lawlessness prevails. And God has said, I'm a God of order. And so I have instituted authorities on this earth. You see, if there's an authority structure in place, God has put it there. That's all authority structures. Think of some authority structures in this world. We've got the relationship between teenagers and, or sorry, kids and parents. All right? We've got a relationship between husband and wife. We've got the relationship between students and teachers. There are all kinds of authority structures that are in place in this earth for law and order. You see, teenagers, and I'm really picking on you today, God has put your parents over you. And so when you rebel against your parents, guess what? Yes, you are rebelling against them, but initially you're rebelling against God Himself. He has put them there for you. Employees, if you're employed, when you moan and groan against your employer, when you have a lot of things to say, yes, you're moaning against your employer, but you are moaning against God. God has put them there. And I can hear the question, but we'll get there. In your marriage situation, wives and husbands, if you're coming up in rebellion, wife against your husband, then I'm going to tackle that in a few weeks' time, alright? So pray for me. <laughs> you see, it's not a popular message today. People don't want to hear this anymore. It's countercultural. If you keep on in your heart coming up in rebellion against your husband, you need to know God has put that authority structure in place for a purpose. And we need to obey Him in there. Whether it's popular or not. But I won't do that sermon now. But in this case, verse 13 and 14, and the rest of this passage speaks about civil authority. And it says, civil authorities from God. From the emperor who is supreme, and in the Roman times when Peter was writing this, the, the emperor was God. He saw himself as that, and the people saw him as God. He was a spiritual being, even though he was on earth. And the word literally means he who is held up. But the problem is, it's not held up by the people. The emperor was held up by God himself. God put him there. And the king 
was given delegated authority and he would delegate people to also bring punishment and reward to people underneath him. And the question that I know is burning in you is, but what if they're evil and corrupt? Is that still of God? We get to there. The Roman Empire during this time that the Apostle was writing was decadent. It allowed homosexuality legally. Infanticide. Think about things that are allowed today and what happened in the Roman times. It's quite interesting. They allowed infanticide. If you had babies born and the one was a girl and you didn't want a girl, you could put her outside your door and you would allow her to die. It was law. You could do that. You had a right, an absolute right as a father to do that. If you didn't like your wife, they had certain rules to do with um, divorce, but if you didn't like your wife, you could make a case against her and get rid of her really quickly. Government corruption was rife. In actual fact, that's how you got ahead in government, if you were really corrupt. Abuse of women was rife. Women were seen as mere sex objects by a lot of Romans. Immorality was rife. It was practiced from the highest to the lowest in society. That is where they had orgies and all kinds of things starting up, was with, this, with, with the Romans. Violence, and we just think, you have to think about the Romans and you think equals violence. All right? Just the way they did war, just the way they treated people. Think of the circuses. Slavery. They allowed it. It was legal. And so, this is the time that this was written in. And so the question is, but what if they're evil and corrupt, Peter? What do I do then? Well, look at people who lived during that time. What did they do? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He lived under that same emperor, Nero. The Apostle Paul lived in that time. The Apostle Peter himself, who's writing this, lived in that time. And did they allow any exemption from this command to subject yourselves to the authorities? No. They didn't give anything. What did Jesus say? Jesus said the following. He said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. You see, rulers are accountable to God, not to us. Rulers are accountable to God, and He is the one, in the end, who will displace them and judge them. We are to submit ourselves to the authorities. We're going to refine this, alright? That means, that principle means that as believers, we cannot get involved in vigilante justice, where we take the law into our own hands, where we think the government isn't doing a good job. We cannot do that because we are to submit ourselves to the government and its laws. You see, the go- God has given the government the right to bear the sword, not us. God, the government is there to punish lawbreakers and to reward those who do well. Government's role is to create fear that restrains evil and to punish those that do wrong. You see, and where governments fail to do that, they are being disobedient to God. Where we only seek to rehabilitate people and not to punish them, we are disobeying God if we are a government. Think of what's happening in this country. The government's role, the purpose, is to bring justice and to reward those who do good. It's a pity we don't see much more of that side coming up as well. Every now and then we see it. And the burning question here is, and here we'll answer it, what if the law is wrong? What if they're forcing me to do what God doesn't want me to do? What do I do then? Well, God's Word says we are to submit to all human institutions. But 
it may mean that we have to firstly try to change those laws legally. We want to honor God first, remember? We are submitted to Him first. He is our main contractor. And so we have to try and change things legally. There's examples of that in Scripture. What did Esther do way back in the Old Testament? Esther, at great peril to her own life, went before the king and tried to bring change legally. What did Daniel do? Daniel was told, you need to eat the king's food. What did he do? He respectfully came and said, can I suggest this? And because he did it in such a way, they actually changed the king's edict so that he could eat what he wanted to and worship God his way. But there comes a time when God has to come first. And scripture very clearly tells us that too. We are firstly in charge, we are firstly under God's authority and then under the government. And where the, where the government contravenes what God calls us to do first, we are first called to obey God. And that means sometimes we might be called to disobey the laws of a country where they are explicitly against what God says. But you need to make sure that your facts are right. Don't just go by a gut feel and say, well, I'm going to break this law because I feel that it's wrong. Make sure that it is contravening God's law directly. Where do we see examples of that in Scripture? Very important. Daniel, yes. Peter and John. Look what happened to the apostles, Peter and John, shortly after the day of Pentecost. They were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus by the Jewish council. Now, the Jewish council was high up in authority in that time. And they said to him, we do not want you to preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Peter's reply? So that was law. Okay? What was Peter's reply to them? Acts 4.19. He said this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We are just witnesses of what we've seen. And then they said, well, we still want you to stop preaching in the name of Christ. And so what happened the second time they started preaching? They were arrested under that same charge. What was the answer to the authorities? This is it. We must obey God rather than man first. And that's where we get it from. You see, when the anti-smacking law came into this country, that was a direct contravention of a clear principle in God's Word. And I'm not here to say thrash your kids to death. That's not what I'm here. I'm saying that's where the government stepped in and they contravened what Scripture says to us clearly, that we are to discipline our children in the fear of the Lord. And so there we were called to civil disobedience. And I know this is being recorded and I know this goes out publicly and whatever may come from that, we need to take a stand as Christians and where God's law is contravened, we need to take that stand. But, and here's the big but, we need to be willing to suffer the consequences for that as well. If you believe in those principles in God's word, then you need to stand and take whatever consequences will come for that if you've looked at your facts first. For instance, what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ himself? He died for his beliefs, didn't he? He died on the cross. What happened to Stephen? He stood up for what he knew to be, to, was right and what happened to him? He was stoned. What happened to the Apostle Paul? He so clearly spoke up for the gospel right amongst Caesar's own God. What happened to him? He was beheaded. And so these men stood up for what they believed because they knew they were right, but they were willing to take that. You see, they didn't cause rebellions. 
The Apostle Paul didn't go out and start a riot. He didn't go out burning and breaking things in the streets. He didn't go about throwing rocks at the police and the authorities of those days. They stood their ground because they knew that what they were standing on was right. They stood their ground humbly and they took the consequences for their stand. Why? Because they were firstly submitted to God and then to humans. Why are we to submit humbly to to these human institutions? God has a reason for it and we get to that in verse 15. Look with me, verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see, there's the reason again. Firstly, it's the will of God. God says, I want it, and so we do it. And secondly, it is to foolish the ignorance of foolish men. We are to stop men's mouths by our obedience, by our example of obedience. You see, that's God's way to glorify His own name. Not our way. That's countercultural. If it was me, I would have, to, gl- to glorify God's name, I would have done it completely differently. This is what I would have done. I would have organized a big and dramatic healing and miracle conference. And we could have all got together and see how God's name is glorified. We could have started a big advertising campaign about how good God is, put it on TV and on the internet. I would have arranged stadiums, arranged fantastic speakers to sh- tell people how good God is and how great He is. But God says, no. I choose the foolish things to shame the wise and what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And that is you and I. He uses our daily lives to show people around us. He uses our obedience to the structures that are in place there to show people that I am God and that I want to glorify myself through people. It's opposite to our human logic, isn't it? And so God's way of stopping criticism and the overwhelming, is the overwhelming evidence of Christians doing right. We want to stand up and be seen in the face of people, then let people see you and I doing right in everything that we do. And it says our attitude of submission is literally to muzzle or to restrain the ignorant, willful and hostile rejection of truth by those that are watching us. It will muzzle them. However, there's a condition to this and we find that condition in verse 16. It says, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves. You see, yes, we have freedom. What have we been freed from? We've been freed from sin. We've been freed from eternal slavery to sin. We've been freed from being bound to this world and being without the Lord. We've been freed from so many things, but God says to us, I want you to use your freedom to proclaim my goodness to people. You see, in those times when this was written to, to the Jews and to those Gentiles, the Romans hated the Christians because they saw the Christians and the Jews in the same basket. And the Romans really hated the Jews. Why? Because the Jews in their own country were seen as perverse. They were seen as obstinate and hard-headed people. I don't know if much has changed today. They were seen as devious. They were seen as being rebellious all the time to authorities. And it was because they'd been invaded by this government. They were seen as ungovernable. And as punishment, Roman leaders were sent to 
Israel to go and look after the provinces. They were sent there as punishment. And so they hated these Jews. And when Jews and Gentiles became believers, they hated the Christians for the same reason. And so the apostle says, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. This is a command from the Lord himself. Live as free men among them. Let your example be seen so clearly to these people. It must have been really hard for these believers. The, here they were being chased around by these authorities and, and they are being told to submit themselves to the governing authorities. And then the apostle says to them, now live what you preach. If you believe that you've got faith in me, live what you preach. Live an open life, not a double standard life, says the apostle. Live out who you are. You are a bond servant, is the word that's used there. You are a servant who is bound to your new master, and you must do what he wants you to do. Don't use your freedom to cover or to hide or to place a mask over evil, says verse 16. It says, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Now, how do we do that? What does that look like? I'll give you really practical examples of what that looks like today. If you're a believer, are you constantly trying to find ways of paying as little tax as you can? And whether that is erring on the minus side or the plus side, are you always trying to cut it really to the quick? Finding all kinds of methods to to avoid paying what you need to pay to the government. You see, the world is watching you. If you've got a non-Christian accountant, he sees what you are doing. The world is watching. If you're employed by an employer, are you always trying to get the most out of that employment situation? Every little bit you can, every bit of off time you can, The world is watching you. Your colleagues are watching your attitude. Are are you and I forever trying to test the white lines of the law? If the law says go at 100, and I know I'm convicted, if the Lord says go 100, then I'll go 104 peak times, or 109 if it's not during those critical times. That is pushing the white lines of the law. And 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 the Bible tells us very directly, listen to the governing authorities. Submit to them. If it says 100, do 100. Do 99, be a good citizen. Watch your way, because the world is watching. You know, I, I live in fear as a pastor, because if I get caught speeding, the first thing I ask you is, so what's your occupation, sir? <laughs> the world is watching. What testimony is that to a police officer who doesn't know the Lord when the pastor's speeding? You all know my weakness now. You see... The world is watching us to criticize us. When you go to to your superiors, whoever that might be, whether that's your teacher, whether that's your employer, whether that's your parents, do you come and approach them in an attitude of humility, in a good, gentle nature? Do you come and see them in that way? Or do you demand this? Do you demand the next thing? I want this, I want the next thing. You see, the world is watching us. Your boss, who might not be a believer, is watching you. Your teacher, who is not a believer, and and they know you're a Christian, they are watching you. The world is watching us. And that's why Peter wrote this. So let's apply that to our situation now. Year 2010, going on to 2011. And I'll finish with this. He summarizes in verse 17. He says, Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. Honor all people. That word honor means lift them up. Give them honor. 
Why do we need to honor all people? You see, isn't everyone made in God's image? And so, at least we can honor people because they are made in God's image. It's said that Orthodox Jews never knowingly stepped on a piece of paper because it might contain the name of God on that piece of paper. And so, they would rather pick it up and look. Now, you see that attitude of honor there? We need to have the same when it comes to people. We are not to step on people because they are made in the image of God. And some of those we step on might even be marked for glory. They might be our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ one day, but the Lord has not yet called them. And then we step on them. Let's honor all people. Let's love the brotherhood or our fellow believers for you ladies. All right? Do you see the progression here? There's a different attitude. Yes, we honor all people, but we need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's honor plus love. We need to be looking out for each other. We need to be carrying each other up. If you've got a Christian teacher, you need to be showing that proper respect and love for that teacher. Not just honor. There's a higher obligation to our fellow believers. We are to love and honor them. You all know the song based on John 13, verse 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this will all the world know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You see, the world looks at us and they will know if we love each other that God exists because our lives will shine it out. By this the world will know that you love me. It's by your love one for another. When the world looks at us tonight at the light party and they look at the way we as Christians interact with each other, not get short and snubby with each other because the biscuits aren't where they should be or that box is in the way of my game. If they see us as interacting, giving God glory and loving each other, that will be a testimony to the world tonight. So think about that when the pressure comes on tonight as it does. Thirdly, he says, fear God. And that word fear is to awe God. Live in awe of God. Do you see there's honor there, there's love there, but there's something else there for God. There's a progression here. It is to awe Him as well. Give Him His place. He is the one above all. He is the great God, the everlasting God. Live in awe of Him in our lives. And then I love the way he summarizes, he says, lastly, honor the King. Again, he's using that same little word, honor. It's nothing else, just honor the king. Why? Why does he say that? Because in the end, the king is just a man, isn't he? But yet we need to honor him for his position that God has given him. He is under God. He is not elevated to be above. You see, we need to fear God. We need to honor the emperor because in all this, it will give God glory. Now, I want to do a quick test for you as we finish. I'm going to put some statements up there and I want you to look at the, the initial reaction that comes up in your heart when you read those statements, all right? I've got a right to. So, my boss doesn't pay me enough. You're in that situation. What's your initial gut reaction? So, I've got a right to do what? What? Steal his time? Steal his pencils? Steal all kinds of other things? Go home early? Put in sickies? You see our attitude coming out there? God says we must be subject to them. My parents don't listen to me. I like that. They don't listen to me. So I've got a right to do what? To rebel? 
to constantly come up against him, to not listen, to not put out the rubbish bags when they ask me to because I'm in rebellion. My spouse undervalues me. Isn't, aren't, ladies, I, I'm speaking out of ignorance now, but aren't you sometimes tempted with that one when things don't quite go well and that little seed is planted in you? You see, that's the same spirit he's talking about here. We need to put ourselves under what God has put there. The tax law is unfair. We've already spoken about it. I'm not going to labor it. The road rules are not even going there. This church doesn't view things... This church doesn't view things my way. So I've got a right to demand things or to walk out and find another church because it doesn't view things my way. Not because it's wrong according to Scripture. It doesn't view things my way. You see, there's another spirit of rebellion here. God has put the elders here. He's put authorities in charge on this earth. God's word is too strict. I want to leave you with that one tonight, this morning. God's word is too strict. So I've got a right to cut corners on it. Only listen when it suits me. You see, same spirit there. A spirit of rebellion in us. As I leave you with those thoughts, I know it's been a fairly lengthy one, but I had to get through this government one. I can always see, by the way, Daniel size at the back there. This has been things we need to get through because it's on God's agenda for us. I haven't chosen to be here. This is where we've got through. And so the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, what is God saying to you and I, specifically about this area of submitting to authority? And let's go out and do something about it. From last week to this week. Last week we spoke about submitting uh, to living in front of the world in such a way that they can see God in us. What have you done about that in this last week? Or has it just been another week and it's rolled over? Let's not do that with what God has told us today. He's refining things in us. Let's really listen to His Word. Let's see Him change our lives and let's see God glorified in everything that we do. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You're a faithful God. But Lord, we pray, keep us faithful to Your Word. Keep us faithful to Your Word, to to You and to what You've told us to do. Because Lord, it's so easy to go our own ways. It's so easy to just live the easy life when You call us to do hard things. You call us to submit when everything in us says, don't. Why should I? Lord, help us to be faithful to You. Help us to realize that we are citizens of two worlds. This world, and most importantly, the next world. Help us to live as citizens of your world, but in this world for a little time. Help us to glorify your name in everything that we do. And Lord, when it comes to our relationship to the authorities, and to any authority over us, help us to have humility in us, and to always look out for the good of the other and to listen even if it grinds us, and to use legal means if we need to change laws in this country, Lord. Help us not to be guilty of inciting people to rebellion, but being faithful to your word and what you've told us here. And Lord, help us to live Godward lives in everything that we do. We think tonight specifically of this testimony to the world of how Christians interact, Lord. Help us to live Godward lives tonight as they see us living with each other, as they see us showing love towards each other, may they see you living through us, we pray. This is our prayer, Lord, from our hearts.